pray. God, I just thank you so much for this day. God, I just, Lord, I just pray that even if I lose my life, that you will be glorified. Lord, I just worship you for who you are. God, we don't have all the answers. We don't know all the whys. But Lord, you're worthy. And I just worship you for who you are. So Lord, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will be so clear, so clear. And God, that you will just speak to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't really, that's a trick I do in my mouth. I don't really know how this is all fixing to go. Let me find out. Thank you. Nope, you're going to come get it in just a minute. Thanks. So here's what happened. Um, I've been having, a, I have a lot of thoughts, and they're all kind of jumbled up. <laughs> so um, I don't really know. We're fixing it. We may all learn together. But we've been talking about this um, life of a follower, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Lately, I've, um, I've read a book, and there was a movie, and um, I just, I can't get enough right now of stories about Christians who are being persecuted today, like right now, not like years ago, but that too, um, but, but even today. Keith, are you still back there? Is there any more light to come in the audience? I can't see them. Okay, oh, that's better. Oh, there you are. I see you back there. That makes me feel better. Okay, I thought I was just talking to like you guys, which would have been fine, but anyway. So, see what I mean? All right, well, get ready for this good ride. All right. So, I've been thinking about what it was like in the very beginning when the church started, okay? So, in the very beginning, the church starts, Jesus comes, he dies, he's resurrected. At this point in time, there is no Bible because it hasn't been written yet, and yet there are people who go absolutely berserk-o in sharing the gospel, okay? And every time I think about the Holy Spirit coming, <laughs> is terrifying, and I always think about this, so, or where's Ethan, I saw Ethan, there's Ethan, Cat. was Cassidy in here, there you are, don't ruin it, okay, Faith's probably seen this before too, JC, okay, I do this all the time, because I just think it's fun, and so I'm just going to do it again, welcome to Bizarro Simplify, okay, so, so the story goes that Jesus comes back to life, He's hanging out with his disciples, his closest followers, and he tells them to, oh my word. Okay, so he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, right? That's in Acts chapter 2. And they do that, by the way. They just do what he says to do, amazingly enough. So I was reading in one of these stories that I read recently. Um, there's a story about a Muslim man who his crops wouldn't grow and his children were disrespectful, and his marriage was falling apart, and so he went to his little Muslim, I don't know what they're called, whatever they're called, his Muslim priest, let's call him that, and he 
says, okay, I need help. My family's falling apart. Nothing's going right. So the Muslim priest guy, I, don't, I really don't know. I should know what they're called. It would have been a better story. But anyway, um, he says, well, go away for three days and bring back a white chicken and something. I don't even know. I didn't keep up with it because it was bizarre. So anyway, while the man goes away and he's preparing to come back to his Muslim priest, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Okay, this is, not, I mean, this is not a story from like, you know, 150 AD, you know, AD. This was like three years ago, okay? So the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, go to this town, go down this street, look for the, the house that has this number on it, knock on the door, and tell the person that answers that you want to know about Jesus, Okay? which is phenomenal enough on its own, okay? But the part that I can't get over is that he just did it. And the person telling the story said, because he didn't know that he could tell the Holy Spirit no. I wish I didn't know that I could tell the Holy Spirit no. So he just, he gets up, he leaves town, he leaves his family for two weeks. You read the book, you know what I'm talking about. So he leaves his family for two weeks. They have no idea where he's going. They have, he's got multiple wives, all these kids. He's gone, okay? He goes, he finds the street, he finds the house, he knocks on the door. He says, I'm here, I need you to tell me about Jesus. And this man reaches out and grabs him and pulls him in. He said, you got to be kidding me if you think I'm going to fall for that. I know you're kind, I know you're here to persecute me, I know you're fixing to drag me off. The, that man who answered the door was the only Christian in that town, and so finally, somehow, the, this man who's come to visit, who's seeking the Lord, convinces him, and he says, no, really, I'm here. I need to know what Jesus is. And so he disciples him for, what was it, two weeks, I think it was, he stayed with him. And then the man goes back and, of course, tells his family about what's happened. The whole family gets saved. Because he didn't know that he could tell the Holy Spirit No. So the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and it says that he comes and it looks like tongues of fire. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that's fire. And the point is that I think we read Scripture sometimes, and there are these things that it says, and we just kind of skim over it. It's just like no big deal. You know, oh, tongues of fire, okay, whoop-de-doo. No, no, really. I mean, like, I don't know what, what that looked like. But apparently it looked like fire because it says so twice in the verse, okay? And then when the Holy Spirit comes... Sorry, this thing's making me crazy. When the Holy Spirit comes, these men completely transform. Welcome to ninth grade science. So, this is just like a little picture of what it looks like when your whole life just gets completely transformed. In the interest of full disclosure, I need you to know that I practiced this last night. It did not go well. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I poured all this liquid together, and there's supposed to be a big explosion, and it, it looked like that right there. That's what it just continued to look like. I don't know. There's something in it already. Okay. All righty, then. To answer your next question, no, so far, most of what I've said has not been in my notes. Hmm, this is going to be interesting. All right, so we're going to put some of this in here. 
because that's what makes the bubbles. And okay, we're gonna put some of this in here because oh, my hands are kind of shaky. All right, here we go. It also burns if you get it only four times when you're trying to get it right at your house by yourself. Um, okay, can y'all see over there? Is this in your way? Cassie, you want to hold these, li these little things? No, I'm just kidding. You can't. No. Um, all right, so then we need some of this. Now you know why I'm not in the band. Okay, we need one of these. Uh -huh. So... I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's the Holy Spirit. Duh. All right. We're going to put two of these in here. Tabby, better start praying. Heavenly Father, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, for real. <laughs> I mean, I want a big explosion. This is either going to be awesome or it's going to be terrible, and I don't have a feeling there's nowhere in between for us to go. All right, so all right, I think we're getting there. Mark, don't leave. We're fixing to get to the good part. This may be the best part of the show. All right, here we go. So, ordinary person, all right, gets the Holy Spirit. Oh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Things are happening. Okay, the Holy Spirit comes, and then, ta-da! Thank you. All right, let's pray. We're going home. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the end. All right, so I, I know this is silly, and that was a whole bunch of rigmarole, whatever. I don't even know, but I was driving to work one day, once upon a time, and I get a text message on my way to work and it's your pastor and he says I know what I need to help you with and my obvious response was I don't need help with anything so I don't know what you're talking about and he says I need you I need to help you understand and know what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit because I like to rely on a to-do list I don't know if anybody else has the to-do list curse, but I do. I make, I, this is how bad it is, I'm not even kidding. If I have a to-do list and I do something that's not on the list, I put it on the list so I can mark it off. I'm not, I wish I was making that up, but that's the honest to goodness truth. All right, Tab and Brian, or whoever, we're just going to get all this out of the way and put that part back there where Steve can, you know, be careful. All righty then. Close that up. Just over there. I don't know. Sure. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you for your help. Your great assistance. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I should get an assistant. That'd be cool. Mm. So the Holy Spirit comes, and something happens. Something huge happens because the Holy Spirit is so much greater than I ever give him credit for. And the Holy Spirit comes and that happens. And then all of a sudden, these men who a very short time before had been terrified, 
and had run for their lives and had denied they even knew Christ. Oh, y'all remember what happened the last time I tried to do that. Okay, good. Now, all of a sudden, Peter says, what does Peter say? It's over here. Peter stands in front of people, and he says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And they become these people who are just absolutely fanatics. They're willing to die for him. They're willing to go to the ends of the earth for him. There is, no, there is nothing too great that God asked them to do that they don't do it. And I guess I just keep thinking about, why don't I do that? There was a guy that came in the bank yesterday, and I thought, I need to ask him to come to church with me. And then I thought, nah, he'll say no. And I let him walk right on out. Why? At least he would have known. At least he would have had a chance. At least he would have had an option. Why don't, why don't I have that? Why don't I have that? We're, eventually, the, the men are going to begin to take you through 1 John. But the first few verses of 1 John, I think, are so important. Because John's a disciple who, who, who saw Jesus. He was at the crucifixion. He was at the resurrection. He had learned from him. He had seen him with his own eyes. And he says as much in the beginning of 1 John. He says, We, being the disciples, proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. This one who is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. We now testify and proclaim to you that he's the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and he was revealed to us. Then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, we are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. The enemies of, of Christ would have wanted you to believe that the stories of Christ were a legend. And it takes, they say, about a generation for a legend to begin because in order for it to become a legend, then all of the eyewitnesses have to die. And John's writing these things, of course, before the legend has time to take hold because he's an eyewitness to it. He saw Jesus. He touched him. As we get into studying 1 John, that's, the, that's the, the context of where you have to come from is that John's not just saying some things that he heard. He was there. He shook his hand. He went fishing with him. He ate breakfast that he had cooked. He did all of these things. He knew Jesus. And the, the words that he... This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And so... In the beginning of the Gospel of John, of course, it says in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed from the beginning. He wasn't just a man. He was, he was God in the flesh. And it was funny as I got to thinking about more and more, and I even heard somebody else say it. They were talking about the great links that the disciples went to to basically say, you can check my facts on this. I'm telling you. I was there. I'm telling you it's the truth. Luke, in Luke chapter 3, um, he says, 
it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Of Judah, um, Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of words I can't say. Annas and they were high priests. And at this time, the message of God came to John. Some of you got bored when I said it's now been, it was now 15 years. In the, the point is that Luke was saying, you can go to all of these people. You can go to that exact date. And I'm telling you what I'm telling you is the truth. I didn't make it up. I didn't say, well, one day we were, I'm saying, this day in this place, I saw him crucified. I saw him come back to life. I touched him with my hands. I saw the empty tomb. They knew it to be true. And I thought about how, oh, it's probably in here somewhere, my notes. I don't even know where the, my notes are. Why do I have notes? But I was thinking about how, well, I heard Andy Stanley say, that if you want to know who Jesus is and look at what he did. And Kenny on Sunday, he said, you have got everything you need for life and eternity and you can hold it in the palm of your hand. Read it. We don't have Jesus here in the flesh. You got stories. You can know him. You can know about his character. You can know about his goodness. You can know about what he's going to provide. You can know about what he would approve and disapprove. You can know about what he can do for you. But you got to read the book. You got to be willing to read it. There was a story that I read, and another Muslim family, a lot of these stories, um, they don't have. a specific place that's named because it was such a, it's so illegal to be Christians there. They're afraid that eventually they'll track these people down. So there was a Muslim family, and the man owned a shop of some kind, some kind of store across the street from what was like a medical clinic that Christians ran. And so this Muslim man every day hurled insults. He would go to the mosque. He would rile up people against these Christians who were there. And they did that for years, and then one day, this Muslim man finds out that he has cancer. And it's inoperable, it's a death sentence, it's over. Well, his Muslim friends then think he's cursed and unclean, so they don't want anything to do with him. So the Christians in the medical clinic across the street begin to go to his shop. And they shop and they spend their money and they begin to invest in this man. And time goes on and it even gets to the point to where the Christians are the ones taking care of this man as he is dying. They bathe him. They take care of his family. They buy him groceries. And eventually, this man who's been Muslim then becomes a believer. And he does die. Well, one of his wives is 24 years old. She has four children. And now she's a widow. But she also has become a believer. And she then is extremely outspoken about her faith. Well, it gets all the way back to, of course, the police and the officials and all this kind of thing. And they come and they arrest her and take her off. They take her to the prison. And they don't even put her in a prison cell. They take her, like, to the cellar of the jail. And they put her down in there. And there's bugs and rats and spiders. And it's awful. And she's there in the darkness, and she says that she opened her mouth to say, I can't do it anymore, God. I can't do it. And even to her own surprise, 
she began to sing. She begins to sing, and gradually she can hear around her and above her that the voices begin to stop, and they begin to listen to her singing. So the chief of police comes around, and he opens the cellar door, and he pulls her up out of there, and he says, I'm going to let you go. And she says, I can't go now. It's like late at night. I think they even said, I forgot what time it was when they said they let her go. But it was late. Protest, let's see. It was after midnight. So the law of that land was that if you were a woman out by yourself at that time, you could be arrested. So she kind of thought for a moment maybe he was setting her up. But he says, no, no, no. I'm going to escort you home. And it says... On one condition, I'm going to let you go. And the condition is that she's got to come and tell his family about why she isn't afraid. He said, you're not afraid of anything. And my daughters and my wives are afraid of everything. So I'm going to take you home tonight. It says three days from now, I'm going to come and get you and bring you to my house. I want you to come to my house so that you can tell everyone in my family why you're not afraid and I want you to sing that song. And if you know scripture, there's a story that probably sounds familiar and all that. And if you don't, that's good too, because you're about to hear a really cool story. So Paul and Silas, is, Paul becomes a Christian about 35 AD. And that's about a couple of years after Jesus has been resurrected. Timelines are kind of sketchy in this time. But anyway, so Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, and now Paul has become a believer. He goes off and he does some training and he gets discipled, he learns about who God is. He and Silas are together. And the thing I want you to keep in mind is like these stories in the Bible, they're connected. These aren't like little pockets of things that kind of happen in different times and, and weren't woven together. All of this is woven together because... Luke probably wrote the book of Acts. He's talking about Paul. Luke's the one who said in his gospel, you know, this is the day, this is the time, this is exactly what I'm telling you is true. So anyway, Paul and Silas, they travel. They, he's, at this point, the story I'm about to tell you, he's probably been a Christian for about 15 years. They've, they've shared Christ with all kinds of people. They've told Pharisees. They've told, you know, um, church people. They've told women They've told lost people. They've been all over the place talking about who Jesus is. And the one thing that struck me, like right before this story, there's another story about how God told them where to go, and he told them where not to go. The Holy Spirit would lead them places, and then the Holy Spirit would say, don't go over here, and they just did exactly what the Holy Spirit told them to do. I guess they didn't know they could disobey. I don't know. But in Acts chapter 17 is a story of once when Paul and Silas were arrested. So it says, one day they were going down to the place of prayer and we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. And this went on day after day until Paul was so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon in her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it instantly left. 
So they're going to this place of prayer because they don't really have a synagogue. They don't have enough people in this town to have a synagogue. So they're just going to where the people were praying. And I kind of think that maybe this is just circums- you know, I mean, a conjecture on my part, but I mean, maybe they went there because they knew that's where religious people were. And these people needed to know who the real Messiah was. It's just, I don't I mean, that's just where he was headed that day. And this girl starts following him. And these people who, who made money off this girl, they didn't, they didn't care about her. They were absolutely using her up for their own benefit. And now Paul and Silas have completely ruined all of that. It says, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for Romans to practice. So what you have to understand that this time, it was illegal to try to convert a Roman to Christianity or to anything probably. So they're, they're facing the exact same thing that many believers around the world are facing today. It's illegal for them to share Christ. And that's basically what they've done, and now this girl's been converted, and they've, this group of men's lost money, and they're mad about it, so they're looking for a reason to have Paul and Silas arrested. So then a mob forms, and I don't know, maybe the mob was afraid that Paul and Silas were going to do the same thing to them. Maybe... I don't know what, maybe it's just like a swarm. You know, you find yourself in a group and everybody's chanting and shouting the same thing. Before you know it, you're saying it too and you don't even realize what what you've done. But it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. And I kind of think that the... the, uh, this translation is a little bit light here, maybe... There's some translations that use the same word for the way Paul and Silas were beaten as they did for when Jesus was flogged right before he went to the cross. And it's kind of a very similar circumstance. Mark 15, 15 says that wanting to pacify the crowd, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. And we've, we've talked before about this very unique balance between God's sovereignty and our obedience God's sovereignty and what we do because God's sovereign over all of that. We know that Christ had to die for our sins, but Pilate played a role in that. And just because he wanted to pacify the crowd, he handed over Jesus to be crucified. A lot of, it's very much like what happened to Paul and Silas. The mob went crazy, so they handed them over to be beaten nearly to death. Maybe just to help calm everybody down, I'm not real sure. So they're thrown into prison. They're probably drugged off to prison. Because they've been, they've been beaten so badly. They've been beaten so badly. And it says, The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And I thought about how we don't really picture this in our minds the way it probably really was. Because it, was, it would have been absolutely humiliating. And in a way, it's humiliating for me to even read it. Because they've been beaten nearly to death. They're drug off into this dungeon. That's a, that's a great translation of that. It's, don't picture it like our prisons at all. It's a cave. It's a hole. There's sewage everywhere. He's chained with chains that are, who knows how heavy and how rusty and how old they are. There's no electricity. There's, it's awful. It's absolutely, absolutely awful. 
and it is completely dark. And I wonder what went through their minds. They have no idea what tomorrow holds. They haven't been sentenced. They've just been beaten nearly to death and drug off to a cave. And I would hazard to guess that they didn't really, in that moment, feel like worshiping God. But somehow, in the darkness, they sang. At that point, there was a massive earthquake and the doors flew open and the chains fell off. And it says that a guard who was watching was going to fall on his sword because he was convinced that everybody had probably escaped. And Paul cried out and he said, don't, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. And it says the guard went and got a torch and he rushed in and he came to him and he said, Tell me what I must do to be saved. 
And Paul said, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and your whole family will be saved. Because he knew that they were going to go back then and they were going to tell his whole family. I don't really have a a profound point for you tonight. But I know, I know there are a lot of people right now who are hurting real bad. And it's real dark. And I don't know if it's You know, I kind of have two dark spots. One's at night when I get home by myself and the lights go out and I lay down. And sometimes it's just as dark when I walk into a room full of people. And so I don't know what your darkest moment is. And I don't know that tomorrow everything's going to be easy or right or better. But I know two things. I know that the Holy Spirit is powerful. And I know He's worthy. And if you don't know Him, man, I wish you would. Let's pray. God, You are perfect in all your ways when everything goes like we want it to and when nothing goes like we want it to you are perfect in all your ways God we we are so so desperate for you We can't change what people around us do, God, but God, we can rely more on you. You are there in the darkest moments. And God, I thank you for John who said, you can trust this, I'm telling you, because I have seen him And I have held him. And I've watched him with my own eyes. God, you are so worthy. If it costs me my life, God, I pray that you'll give us the strength in those moments. I thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who are going through things that we cannot imagine. God, give them strength. God, be glorified. What we know is that after great persecution, God comes somebody's salvation. So Lord, we don't, I don't even pretend to always understand your ways. God, I swear I trust you. God, we trust you. 
pray it in Jesus' name. If you guys will stand.